On this edition of the Off the Bench podcast, presented by the Alibaba Group, we recognize and highlight one of the newest members of the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, Bobby Dandridge. Thanks for being with us. I'm Chris Miller. A four-time All-Star, two-time NBA champion, Bobby D was a cornerstone member of the Bullets' 1978 championship team. Coming up, Bobby D reflects on his long-awaited journey to Springfield and talks about the village of folks who helped guide him into basketball immortality and why he feels winning the championship in D.C. was more significant than his first in Milwaukee. But before we get to the interview, just a reminder, make sure you download and subscribe to the Off the Bench podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's time now to hear from the Hall of Famer, Bobby Dandridge, on this edition of the Off the Bench podcast. Capital One Arena is partnering with Clear to help Wizards fans get into home games faster for free. Beat the crowds on game day and enter through the Clear Lane at the 7th and G Street entrance across from Clyde's. Download the free Clear app and get started today by selecting Wizards. When you arrive, you'll take a quick picture at the Clear Pod to confirm you are you and then walk right in. Download the free Clear app today to get started. Bobby, when you think of September 11, 2021, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, Hall of Fame induction, (laughs) uh, spending quality time with family and friends who traveled to Springfield, um, getting an opportunity to really feel the respect of being a Hall of Famer and being welcomed into a club uh, where there are probably a max of 250 players. Mm-hmm. And uh, it takes a while for it to sink in, but then after your speech and you come off the stage and you get your congratulations and hugs from people that have been inducted inducted before you, uh, you know, you begin to really feel the significance of being a Hall of Famer. And it's still sinking in (laughs) on a regular basis, but surely it's an accomplishment that I never really thought of initially playing basketball. I just wanted to be a good Mm -hmm. basketball player. And even upon leaving the NBA, I really didn't think that much of being a Hall of Famer. Uh, it wasn't that I didn't think if there was such a club that I shouldn't be <laughs> right. a member of, but it was, it was just a great day uh, for my family and I, for both of my parents who are no longer here, but it was just a great day. There were two things that stood out to me in your speech, and I kind of want you to kind of follow up on it. The one thing that you said is things happen on God's time. Oh, yeah. Was your patience ever tested? Uh, I think it would be tested from time to time when guys that I thought that (laughs) that I had a better career then, uh, when they were going in, and especially guys that played the small forward spot. But um, I had a lot of other things to do over the last 30-something years, and one of the things was to sort of mend some fences in the NBA. 
Um, and mending those fences was actually fun because I had the opportunity to let the powers that be see who Bob Dandridge really, really is. And after a couple of years, they began to realize, hey, this is a quality guy. You know, this is a fun-loving guy. He's a pretty smart guy. And he's just a quality human being. So doing waiting and, and during that time, I got a chance to get a better connection with a higher power. Uh, who I choose to call God. And that was also fun because it gave me an opportunity to reflect back on the many blessings mm -hmm. that have come in my life and to be appreciative of some of the challenges that came along in my life. Um, gave me an opportunity to be the, the type of parent that I wanted to be in. And my wife had a lot of help with that. <laughs> that too, becoming a better parent, a better husband, a better man. So the the weight was, it got to be fun, and eventually I just settled on down, and and for about the last ten or twelve years, I've carried myself as a Hall of Famer. I wouldn't let anybody treat me other than as being a Hall of Famer, and. I've been in company with what I was the only unrecognized Hall of Famer, but you know they treated me as if, hey, you know you you still one of us. Mm -hmm. So at no time did uh, and and the story that I tell is that the coach from um, Villanova and also Roy Williams when I saw them. Uh, at the Hall of Fame, they said, well, aren't you already in the Hall of Fame? And that confirmed the weight. It confirmed that. And I was tested, too, because uh, I would see guys, you know, important people with the Hall of Fame that I figured had something to do with the vote. And uh, the maturity on my part was uh, not showing any anger, not saying anything negative about anybody, but letting the process work for itself. And in God's time, you know, the process worked its way through. And, um, you know, it's, it's just been fun because it teaches you how to play the game of life. You know, you got to know when to fold them. You got to know <laughs> when to hold them. So it was a learning. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Know when to walk away and know when to run, you know. But, and, and I've met and made a lot of good friends along the way. And I was able to stay true to my beliefs. I was able to still be able to speak on some issues that I wanted to speak on and 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 I gained a lot of respect I think during that period um, and then you said uh, I didn't know I, I had prepared this speech because that's a requirement of the Hall of Fame because they don't want you to stay up there too long 
<laughs> but it's so when that red light stops flashing, that means get off the stage. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. But I didn't see the red light. I sort of went off the. You know how we used to when we was young, go through the red light. Right. Uh, but it was. It, it, it's been a blast. Yeah. And and the weight has not. You know, it's been development for me as a human being. So and, and for my family and. and and the thing it is, is that when we're young, we don't appreciate some things. And I think I got a five and a seven-year-old grandson that they had an absolute fabulous time. And they understood everything that was going on. And I think my kids, my wife, my relatives, all the dandridges up and down the East Coast, my family really appreciate what has been happening to me over the last year. And I'm forever thankful and grateful, you know, for the experiences that, that I've had. Before you took your rightful place in Springfield, you and I talked, and I remember I asked you, who, who called you? Who told you? And... <laughs> I was shocked when you said the big O called you and said you're going into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. This is someone that you uh, have really spoke highly of over your time. But to get that call from the big O, share with folks, first of all, what did he say? And then, <laughs> and then how did that conversation kind of go? Well, 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 he knew. But the actual call came from John DeLeva, Jerry Colangelo, and Wayne Embry. They were on a three-way call. And I can honestly say that Wayne Embry has been my biggest advocate uh, over the last nine or ten years. And once they told me, then that gave Oscar the freedom because... <laughs> It's a, it's a secretive thing. And you are, even when I found out, I was sworn to secrecy from the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't tell anybody before we release this to the media. And the funny thing is that you know, my wife could be watching an NBA game and somebody may get announced as a Hall of Famer and she said, mm, you should be in there. Uh-oh. And so when, when that happens, I have to sort of get up out the room uh, because she's my biggest fan and my biggest supporter. And maybe about four days before it was released to the public, I just had to go ahead and tell her. Look, calm down. I'm in the hall. <laughs> we got a trip in September coming. It might not be to a city where you yeah. think we're going. But, <laughs> but um, that call, it, you know, it left me speechless. And then after that, some of the committed members called to confirm it because, you know, you say, is this some, no, I knew wasn't nobody playing a trick on me because it, Came Wayne from, Embry don't play games. No, so. Wayne and Jerry Colangelo <laughs> yeah. either. Yeah. They don't play games. But when the when Oscar, I, I, I really, 
and it's not corny. You know, Oscar and I have developed a brother-brother relationship. And I feel real special to have him call me his friend. Um, you know, you, you're talking about the big O. And there's only been two players, I think, in the history of this league that they've called big anything. That's big O and the big E. And I've been forever grateful and blessed to have played with both of them. And if we went by basketball accomplishments, I don't think we'll ever have two players that would want to take on those first initials. Right. <laughs> so, but 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 Oscar's call was was probably the most satisfying of them all. How'd you get the nickname Greyhound? Greyhound, um, because when I went to Milwaukee, I was probably about 6'6", six, six, about 180 pounds max, but I could get out on the fast break. I, I used my speed to, um, to play the game. Mm -hmm. And there was a broadcaster, Eddie Doucette, gave everybody the nickname. He gave Kareem the sky hook. Um, and McLaughlin, Johnny Mac, and he was full of nicknames, not in a derogatory way, but just a way to add excitement to his broadcast. And that's how I got the name because of my speed and quickness my first couple of years in Milwaukee, and that's where the Greyhound came from. You talked about your wife, Deborah, who, uh, did you get in trouble after your Hall of Fame speech? Because you, you did kind of put her out there about how hard it was to, 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 to get her to notice you. No, in the yeah, beginning. Yeah, but, <laughs> but you know, for most of us ball players, our wives have put us through that. That's right. You know, they, right. you know, back in the day, it wasn't easy to. You had to earn your stripes. Oh, you had to earn your stripes, and then. If she had a mother or brothers, you had to pass, you the, pass test. the test. It wasn't just hooking up with somebody or marrying somebody without mm -hmm. the family's approval. Right. And so that's the way it was. You, you know, you had to work back in the day. You know, you call it court. Yeah, yeah. You had to court them. You know. <laughs> you uh, the other thing that you said in the Hall of Fame speech that kind of touched me is you're bringing a village. To the Hall of Fame. Yes. Talk to me about your village. The the village um, were people that I grew up with in Richmond, Virginia, in the West End section of Richmond. Classmates from Maggie Walker High School. Classmates, students, and anybody that went to Norfolk State. My coaches who had a hand on me. My my teachers, uh, guys that. I learned this sport from on the playgrounds of Richmond, and I easily, and newly acquired friends over the last 20 or 25 years took the, I had about 25 people that traveled mm -hmm. to the Hall of Fame to be with me during that time, and that was my village, and as I also mentioned, I'd never had a white coach until I went to the NBA. So all these people that that were a part of my village were 
were blacks, African Americans, that guided me, directed me, corrected me, and paved the way for me to be who I am today. And when I look back at my coaches, um, it was a guy named Russell Williams, and he went to North Carolina Central, but he was coached by Johnny McClendon, who learned the sport from James A. Naismith. And so I just had people, I, I, I had an English teacher that told me, um, I would never play in the NBA if I if I never learned that English, and I'm still trying to co connect the two English and the NBA. But she introduced me to my first pro basketball player, a guy named Hal Greer. Mm -hmm. And as a senior in high school, I had an opportunity to work out with Hal Greer at my high school, and it was just unbelievable. You know he. Three straight days, he, out of 100 shots, he never missed more than three. And that sort of set the tone for, he was a part of my village. Um, because I, I, I just learned a lot, and, and, and everything wasn't about basketball. Some of it, a lot of it was integrity and honesty and how to be a part of a team, but yet, to be able to separate from my separate myself from the crowd of individuals that might not have the same goals and directions that I that I have and family um, uh, tonight um, at this celebration I I got about twenty five or thirty dandridges. <laughs> coming from Richmond, Virginia, who have never participated in anything honoring me. And we all are connected by, we are the brothers and sisters of a family of Dandridges, Patsy and Matthew Dandridge. And you know, this is a special night for me, surely, to be honored here by the Wizards, and I'm forever grateful that I'm being honored by myself. <laughs> and it may sound selfish, but I'm used to being honored with yeah. four of the top 50, 50 players that have ever played this game, and so I'm forever grateful to the Wizards for letting me know that I can stand on my own, not only as a, as a basketball player, but a contributor right. to this Washington franchise. And uh, this is just a real special night for me. You won a title in 71 in Milwaukee, but the 78 one is one here in this community that everybody remembers, right? You played with, like you said, great players. Give me a compare and contrast of the 71 title to the 78 one. Young and uh, believing that, well, what's so special about an NBA title? Everybody, if you play long enough, would win one. But after about two more shots at trying to win one, I realized right, right. that this thing doesn't come easy. 
And Washington was just the ultimate for me because I know and the Wizards are acknowledging I was the man. I could do with that team what I wanted to do as far as on the court. And Coach Marta had given me the green light. Look, we're going to go as far as you take us. And although I played with the great Alvin Hayes and Wes Unsell, it was a – I loved playing here in the DMV. Um, as Larry Wright says, I loved playing in the district. It was a special place, especially for, for African-Americans. It was the prime of uh, Chocolate City, and the city just embraced the bullets during that time. And uh, it was a place that I wanted to play. And... Every player in this league wants to feel at some point you got your team. And this was my team. And Wes and Elvin showed me the ultimate respect um, and probably gave me, built up my confidence um, in terms of letting me lead them not so much as a vocal guy because Wes had that covered. But for me to come, but now I had to prove myself with Wes and Elwood, <laughs> you know, coming in here. And it just wasn't through statistics. It was a willingness to blend in, to make this team what it was trying to be, and that was a championship team. So... Washington was the highlight. It was where I wanted to be. I excelled. My game was on full display. And I know for two years, and I would say my last year in Milwaukee and my first two years in the league, I mean in Washington, I can say I was the best small forward in the league and then and sometimes I have to let Elvin know when he gets stubborn that for two years he and I were the best forward combination in the league and uh, so Washington, the championship in Washington is a very special championship because hey, you know I was the man. There you go. <laughs> what is it like today to see Wes's son roaming the sidelines coaching the Washington Wizards. It's 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 like tearful, it's humbling, it's deserving because he has always been a quality young man and he has paid his dues more so than any of the other four or five guys that got head coaching jobs this past year, he should have been the first guy taken based on his experiences in this league and 
Uh, I think the leadership at Monumental Sports and the Wizards made a move that they that they'll never regret. I just you know be patient with him, uh, let him run his gamut here, and I I, I just I'm. I'm I'm proud of him, and I can say this because I'm much older. <laughs> I saw him as a kid, but I've seen him grow into a deserving and quality head coach. My final question for you, Bobby D, is when these young players in this league ever see you in the streets or see you in the arena, they need to come and pay the proper respect. Because I didn't know this. You're responsible for the top 100 camp. Yeah. This is an opportunity for kids to showcase their skills before getting to this level. Yeah. How did you get that started? I was at the, the Players Union and Alex English um, employed me to be in charge of programs, but I really eased in there because I developed the rookie transition program and once I was in there working with the rookie transition program. They thought we need to have a camp. And it was up to me. I, I solicited products from Nike. I negotiated with Princeton University. I talked to coaches across the country. And, uh, but that's something that I'm halfway good at in terms of being able to communicate with people. And this was a part of the rewards of that waiting to get into the Hall of Fame that God had a whole lot of work for me to do that had nothing to do with my personal accolades but gave me an opportunity to give to a population that that needed that type of exposure and even at the Hall of Fame I mean guys were shocked like they never even thought about <laughs> And everybody probably in the last 30 years who's in that Hall of Fame have come through that, uh, what was then the Nike, but now the uh, top 100 camp. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes I look back at some of the pictures, you know, when you see Kobe and uh, Jermaine O'Neal, uh, I can remember going to talk to Lamar Odom, and it was almost like a recruiting process because we had to compete against the Adidas and Nike camps, and it was my personality that I had the ability to talk to coaches, to convince them, look, this is going to be the next top camp. Y'all need to let him come. And a part of that, too, came from my recruiting because uh, – I was an assistant basketball coach at Hampton University, and I can remember my um, high school coach, a guy named Ernie Fears, who was a brilliant man, uh, told me, say, in your recruiting efforts and talking to coaches, he said, they don't see uh, the Players Association or they don't see Hampton University. What they see is Bob Dandridge, and you have to show up. As Bob Danridge and coaches and parents saw enough in me that they believed that I was going to take care of their kid. 
always honored and privileged to sit here and chop it off. And now, and now I can Go say, ahead say it. with a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Much respect, brother. Yeah, thank you, Bobby Thank D. you for having me and the best to, to the Wizards this year. Thank you. Okay.